You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Good morning. Thanks very much for listening once again. It is Friday, September the 17th. Buckle up and get ready because this is going to be quite some international ride through the next half an hour, 40 minutes or so. I'm in Canada, ready for the Woodbine International. Frankie Dottori will be here this weekend as well. He rides in four Group 1 races. Three of those Group 1 races he rides for Charlie Appleby in the Godolphin Blue. Who'd have thought that at the end of 2012? William Buick is not here riding in the Godolphin Blue because he has chosen to stay in the UK. That's how much the Jockeys Championship means to him. He'll be riding at Newbury Saturday. The other feature meeting in the UK is at Air, their famous Western meeting which began yesterday and their feature race, one of the great marquee handicaps of the season, the Air Gold Cup. And it might be a man called Air, though spelled E-Y-R-E, who is successful with just Frank. Les Air in his second incarnation as a trainer. He tells me how much it would mean to him to win another big handicap 24 years after Far Ahead won the Ebor. No danger of horses like that entering the Thoroughbred Racing Commentary Global Rankings, because that's all about group horses. However, very elegant, the star Australian mare may well chisel her way back up towards the top 10 if the autumn of her career goes well, and that begins tomorrow at Randwick, and I'll get thoughts on that in a moment from Channel 7's Jason Richardson reporting from Australia, and he also brings us the big news about star jockey Jamie Carr, who broke all records last year. She now might have broken a record of a rather more ignominious kind as she has been banned for five months, more of which in a few moments' time. Also in this edition, Charlotte has once again been down to Watership Down Stud. This time she catches up with their farrier as they prepare horses for book one of Tattersall's sales. News yesterday that Francis Graffar, friend of the show and from whom we'll hear a little later, is to take over as trainer to His Highness Aga Khan's Aiglemont Stables in Chantilly. But first of all, we will start with the news that reverberated around the racing and bloodstock world yesterday. It wasn't a surprise to learn that the estate of the late His Highness Sheikh Hamdan Al Maktoum, Shadwell, would be trimmed back. It was perhaps a little more of a shock to learn the extent to which it would be cut back before this year is out, as released in a statement yesterday. Cornelius Lysett is with me. This will be felt around the racing and bloodstock world. Cornelius, what's your reaction to that news? Yeah, I, you, you're right. I'm not sure how surprised I am. Sad and, and concerned about um, the potential ramifications are, are probably uh, the, the principal uh, feelings. Uh, you know, there have been signals of, of change even before Sheikh Hamdan died in, in March, particularly noticeable with the operation in Australia being cut right back. Um, and I suppose however keen uh, his family, his daughter Sheikh Issa, has been to keep her father's legacy going. It is a seriously vast global operation. Uh, so some kind of further reductions, uh, sounds like pretty big ones, uh, were probably inevitable. Clearly, though, um, one of the places where um, this is really going to be felt is at the, the yearling sales. The, the season in Europe is just getting going now at book one and book two at Tattersall's in Newmarket in 2020. Uh, Sheikh Hamden and his team were big spenders, as they often are. I think a 
I've seen reported a, a figure around the 9 million mark, around 50 yearlings, something like that. So there will be shudders of concern at the news amongst breeders and consigners who've got plenty invested in stock that's off to those sales um, starting on October the 5th and October the 12th, uh, respectively. Um, I, think, I think it is worth finally, you know, operations have scaled back before, uh, have scaled back pretty big. Racing has managed to uh, weather the storm, and it will um, weather the, the. You know, if you, in a way, if you, if you get really keyed up about the potential consequences, and um, then they they don't feel quite as bad, then you feel that much better. So, yeah, it's 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 sad news, it's concerning news, but probably it's uh, it's inevitable news. But great that the blue and white silks will still still be seen around the place. And it did strike me from the press release that it's a nice idea that you can have a boutique stable of. Baids and Malathats, but in order to have the Baids and Malathats, Shadwell has needed this enormous, great multinational enterprise to produce enough horses to get that quality at the top end. I, I'm not sure that it's it's possible to just cherry pick a few nice horses. You know, this will be something that we'll watch closely. But other operations have scaled back, haven't they? And have, in a way, sometimes. You know, the, the, it is possible when it's so established and there are, uh, that there are good people involved, you sort of concentrate the excellence as well. So, you know, it's not all doom and gloom. Yeah, I th- and I think the other, the other point to note is that whilst people have quite rightly pointed out that without one or two of the, the beer moths continuing to expand and, and contracting, like Shadwell is contracting enormously and Judmont is, is clearly contracting in terms mm. of his racing operation in Britain. I think they've only got about uh, 25, 32-year-olds in, in training at the moment in Britain. Um, people say, well, that gives other people a chance. It gives people a chance at the sales. It democratizes the sport a little bit. But what it also does, it means there are fewer and fewer and fewer super investors. And the fewer super investors there are mean that power then falls into fewer and fewer hands. And that can't be a good thing for the sport. You're right. Then, then equally, other operations, perhaps not quite on the scale of um of uh, shadwell or dali or whatever but other operations do begin to grow so you know i, I think i'd make the point again this this th- these type of sort of uh people talking about the potentially gloomy repercussions of of this type of news has, has certainly happened before and one way or another the the, the storm is weathered but uh, there could be a little bit of discomfort uh, during the during the voyage Well, more from Cornelius in a moment. First of all, though, we're going to head to Australia because this is sensational news. Jamie Carr, who broke just about every record last year, has been suspended for five months, which takes her out of a a huge chunk of the Australian racing year and the most lucrative chunk as well. Channel 7 and Racing.com's Jason Richardson joins us from Australia now. Jason, what's happening here? Yeah, it's remarkable, isn't it? Great to chat to you and to your audience. So um, for those that haven't followed this case, um, COVID is treated really, really strictly here in Australia and racing has not missed a beat in Australia. I think we've missed one day of racing the entire time that COVID has been around and that has been through the great government work and great uh, work from all of the racing jurisdictions. So they've been able to continue racing. However, the double-edged sword of that is anyone who goes outside and breaches COVID rules, the racing industry are really quick considering other industries have closed down. They are really quick to whack any participant who does it. Those that haven't caught up with the case, Jamie Carr, Ben Mellum, who would be familiar to a lot of the audience, uh, Mark Zara, who's certainly ridden over in Europe. I mean, these are our three of our star jockeys, plus a couple of apprentice jockeys got together with some other people 
had a party at a venue that was outside their 5K zone, believe it or not, in Australia at the moment. Not allowed to go outside your 5K zone. You've got a curfew at 8 p.m. at night. You must be at home to make sure we stop the spread of COVID. So they were outside their home. They were outside five um, five kilometres. They were meeting more people than they were allowed to meet, so they broke a whole lot of COVID rules, and they were suspended each for three months. However, they also gave uh, misleading evidence in the hearing, and Jamie Carr today got an extra two months when asked a question whether Mark Zara was there at the function. He'd already left before the police arrived. Um, she said no, he wasn't. So whether she was just protecting a mate or whether or not she just forgot that Mark was there um, at the gathering or at the party, and that has cost her an extra two months. So for her to put into context, that's close to a million dollars because she's missed the entire spring carnival. She earned well over a million dollars last year, so she's going to miss up to half of a season. And in a spring carnival where she's the number one rider after winning the Scobie Breezley medal, the number one rider in Victoria uh, last season, it is uh, it is a huge fine. In fact, her lawyer described it as the biggest COVID fine in world sport. That's sensational news from, from Australia. And we'll monitor this story closely as it heads to the Supreme Court. Big day in Australia tomorrow. Uh, and the, the big name that listeners of this podcast will be very familiar with is Very Elegance. Certainly if they've heard the stylings of, of you, Jason, of James Willoughby, of Lee Motter said she's got a pretty big fan club, this mayor. Is she going to win the uh, George Main at Randwick tomorrow? Yeah, she will. She's an even money favourite. Uh, 1,600 metres, weight for age. She really appreciates um, giving the ground so she'll get soft ground. That'll suit her. Has an opportunity to win her ninth career Group 1. That'll be alongside a greater the turf down here in Australia in the mighty northerly. Um, so I think she'll be winning. A lot to look forward to tomorrow. Jason, thank you, but not much to look forward to imminently for Jamie Carr, unless that appeal goes her way. We'll keep you up to speed with that story. Trying to keep up to speed with the developments in British politics because the government reshuffle may have ramifications for horse racing with Nadine Dorries, a somewhat controversial figure taking over as the Secretary of State for Culture, Media and Sport, long-time Boris Johnson loyalist. And as yet, we don't know who's going to replace the minister who was responsible for overseeing the gambling review, John Whittingdale. Um, Cornelius, what can you tell me about Nadine Dorries and whether or not racing needs to be interested? She was previously best known uh, for being suspended by the Conservatives for appearing on the television programme I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here in the Jungle in Australia in 2012, where (laughs) uh, a week ago I wouldn't have bet on these things appearing on your podcast, but um, uh, amongst her tasks on that programme were to eat a camel's toe, an ostrich's anus and a lamb's testicle all of which she achieved. Um, she's believed to have been to the races, but at Cheltenham, she lived uh, in the, lives in the Cotswolds, I think, um, that part of the world. Uh, when she was at the Department of Health, uh, and uh, that is her particular background, she was very concerned with mental health issues, uh, with suicide rates as well. So I dare say she will have views about the gambling review, which is, um, uh, which is coming in the not too distant future and that is the big thing the gambling review uh, which could affect um, spending limits television adverts and sport as a whole but particularly racing um, I, I think the expectation was that a, a white paper a parliamentary procedure in which proposals are aired 
was anticipated by Christmas uh, with another of the ministers in that uh, department, John Whittingdale, uh, doing the steering, but he's gone. Uh, and so that's likely to hold up everything because it's complicated stuff and any new minister would want to get their head around it. Julia Lopez uh, is the new John Whittingdale, if you like, has taken over that role. Um, the sports minister is the same, Nigel Huddleston. He's still in place, uh, but he's pretty busy. And he, he supposedly wasn't sad when the gambling review went off his desk. Um, what was that earlier this year? Um, so it's probably fair to say that uh, when when racing and the betting industry could just do with a bit of bit of stability, a bit of momentum towards that gambling review um, in order to be able to regroup after the pandemic, that uncertainty is still there. So it's not ideal. Yeah, when uh, Nadine Doris was in I'm a Celebrity Get Me Out of Here, and this was in, in 2012, when she came out eagle-eyed amongst racing fans, will have noticed that her partner greeting her as she came out of the jungle was none other than British Horse Racing Authority veterinary officer uh, Chris Hammond, who I don't think works for the BHA anymore, but there is a tenuous link. More important news yesterday was that Francis Graffard, who spoke to us on this show last week, would take over as the trainer to His Highness the Aga Khan's private Iglemore training establishment in Chantilly. That is a post that has been held for over 40 years by Francis's former boss, Alain de Roy Dupre, who is stepping down after a glittering career. De Roy Dupre himself thrust into the role on the death of Francois Maté. So it is not a role that has been held by many people. Francis Graffard has proven himself at the top level time and again, and I caught up with him to congratulate him on the appointment. Uh, it's been a huge honour for me to, uh, to be approached to... Uh for this role, uh, very big honor. Um, as everybody know, worldwide, uh, the, the Aga Khan Racing Colors is so classic and uh, every uh, young person dream about this racing colors. So it was a huge honor for me. And you'll know better than anyone how big those boots of Alain de Waille Dupre will be to fill. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, definitely. Uh, uh, I, I, when I came back from Newmarket, uh, I worked uh, three years as an assistant to Alain de Royer Dupré, so I was running his, uh, his public stable beside uh, uh, the Aga Khan uh, team. And uh, so uh, I looked at uh, how he managed things and uh, I learned a lot from him, as everybody knows. Uh, but he's, he's been a, an amazing trainer, and uh, so I'm not surprised he lasts so long in, uh, in this position because... Uh, He's been a fantastic trainer. I just, uh, it's, a, it's a big challenge for me. I, I, I will not pretend to, to be as good as him, but I will try my best for, for the prince and the princess. Francis Graffard, they're clearly humbled to be taking over as principal trainer to His Highness the Aga Khan, Cornelius. I think, I think there's been an expectation that he's, he's been sort of going along the right path to one of the great jobs, which this clearly is. He's going to keep his own stables, but... Uh, oversee everything at Eglamont as well. Um, started under the Godolphin Flying Start. Worked for Dali. Wife works for Godolphin. Assistant to Alain de Roy Dupre. Um, and, you know, since training, he's gradually got more and more successful. The Revenant uh, in Swoop Wooded, some of the top-notch winners. Uh, he's that much younger than um, than quite a lot of the, the the leading names in French racing. 44 years old, successful, obviously. And I've always felt quite a sort of modern trainer, plenty of social media, plenty of mainstream media appearances as well. I think racing will be pleased for Francis Graffard and will be um, imagining that uh, the Aga Khan's made a, a pretty good move here. 
Cornelius, I know you're coming to us from air today for the Western meeting, and I know this is one of your your go-to destinations, and you really love the place. And there's a very strong favourite uh, for uh, the Air Girl Cup, great ambassador, which has been in such good form. Quite short, though, 9-2 favourite uh, to win that, having won his last two and been third in the Stewards' Cup at Goodwood. Behind Comanche Falls, who is there as well, Ed Walker's got another good runner in Popmaster. A lot of shrewdies fancy a horse trained by Les Eyre, E-Y-R-E, um, called Just Frank. Uh, I, I'm, I'm personally keen on one. Uh, there's an 18-to-1 shot called Mr. Wagyu uh, that ran really well in the Portland Handicap at, uh, at Doncaster, won the Stewards' Cup Consolation at Goodwood. There's a real uh, sense of excitement about the day as well because restrictions have been, have been pretty strong as far as sporting events in Scotland are concerned. Uh, after the pandemic, but but people will be able to go, people will be able to enjoy themselves, and people really looking forward to uh, to today, with the day before the race and the big race on Saturday. Well, Cornelius, you mentioned Just Frank and Les Air. I put in a call to Les, and I put it to him that his horse, currently third favourite, was coming to the boil just when it mattered most. I think you're right, Nick. Um, I think he came, to, he came to himself this time last year, didn't he? When he went down and won that sales race. Um, and I think it's his time of year, and he's been getting there all season. And at uh, first, he showed his, his back to where he was. He's the easiest horse in the world to train. I'd love to be able to have a little bit of credit, but I can't. He, you could say like kids pony. He's got tons of speed and stays on, but we've tried him over seven. I've been messing about with him all year over seven. Totally stupid, because he's a natural six-fellow horse. But as you say, he stays on really well at the end of those sprint races and air is the place where you need to do that with that with that stiff finish. So you've got the six furlongs, you've got a bit of cut in the ground. Paul Mulrennan seemed to get on really well with him. How how hopeful can you be, Les? Oh, Nick, you know, it's a, it's a big thing, isn't it? You know, um, I mean, the biggest thing in our career, we're well, within the E-Bar. Um, not many people won the Gold Cup and the E-Bar. In the career, so I mean that's how difficult it is. We're um, expecting a, a big run from him, even though I know it's going to be it's going to be tough. Les Air there, good luck to him with Just Frank. Sounds quite hopeful. Uh, Cornelius, you are in Air. I am in Toronto, not far from Woodbine. Four Grade One races this weekend. Frankie Dottori has a ride in each of them. Three are in the Godolphin blue. Okay, he's done that a few times in the last couple of years, but they're all for the inner sanctum for Charlie Appleby. If you'd said at the end of 2012, when his tenure as Godolphin retained rider ended, that he'd be back riding grade one horses for them uh, on the international stage, people might have said you were mad. It would have been as mad as um, a woman who was in the jungle in Australia ending up as Secretary of State for Culture, really, at about the, about the same time. Yeah, the, it, you know, I, I think at the time it was said he might have the odd ride, wasn't it, for, uh, for Godolphin in the future. But um, that hasn't materialised really um, in, in, in any form which no one really expected it to. So, yeah, it's very significant. And uh, um, Frankie, in those colours, with real chances and... You know, looking at Walton Street in particular, which hasn't raced in the UK for, for a year now, but that, um, that, some of that form in Dubai is absolutely uh, terrific, the, the form behind uh, Mishrif. So that would appear, I would have thought, to uh, give Walton Street uh, a, a fine opportunity of, um, um, of, of 
producing another European winner of this great Canadian race. But good to see Desert Encounter there as well for David Simcock, who won it a couple of times. Um, but, uh, you know, from certainly from the British racing media point of view, and I dare say the Canadian media, when they sort of latch onto the story here, the fact that that uh, Frank is in those colours for the inner sanctum, as you put it, of the of the Godolphin team is is a really striking story. And every opportunity, every chance that uh, there will be considerable success and more success in, in a golden year for Charlie Appleby. So Frankie riding Walton Street in the Patterson Canadian International and Wild Beauty and Albar in the two grade one two-year-old races on Sunday, in addition to Chad Brown's Raging Bull in the Rico Woodbine Mile. Jamie Spencer is on Godolphin duty as well, riding Yabir and Creative Flair in the big money races at Belmont Park. Yabir will be joined by Aidan O'Brien's Bolshoi Ballet, who had to miss last weekend's pre-Niel because of a vaccination issue. If he nets a big, valuable American prize, that might have been a blessing in disguise. And why are Dottori and Spencer doing duty for Godolphin in America? Well, James Doyle and significantly stable number one, William Buick, are at Newbury. And it just goes to show, Cornelius, lest you didn't imagine that William Buick cared about the Jockeys' Championship as much as he does. He's just six behind a Sheen Murphy now, and he is eschewing all the big money in North America to ride um, for rather less money at Newbury. Yeah, but, but that you know, being champion jockey, and O'Sheen Murphy has demonstrated that in in recent years, you know, that is a, that, that is a, a, a tremendous accolade, and it's a real honour, and, you know, you can just... Uh, you know, it is something they really, really want to do. And uh, although the the season has changed, and uh, they're, they're, actually there isn't so much debate on on the season these days, is there? But it runs the the championship runs from the Guineas meeting through until Champions Day uh, in the middle of October. Uh, it's it, there are those who say it's not quite the same as it used to be. I certainly used to hold that view. I'm a bit more pragmatic about it now. But you see how you can see how important it's been to Oshie Murphy to be the um, champion jockey, and uh, it's really important to William to try and for William to try and get it as well, and for and for the whole team around him. Cornelius back at the end of the show, and don't forget James Willoughby still to come with a really dynamic edition of the TRC Global Rankings. All change this week that to look forward to but first of all part three of our series behind the scenes with watership down stud as they prepare their beautifully bred yearlings for the sales at tattersall's book one this week charlotte is talking to their farrier gary pickford and she started by asking him when his involvement in these young horses lives begins um here at watership down we we have a what i call a high maintenance farry program which means that we start on our foals at 10 days of age. So I will look at all foals at 10 days of age. They're all walked up, they have written reports. Those written reports are on the size of the animal, size of the foal, the body, the bone, how much bone it has, and obviously its confirmation and whether it has any angular limb deformities. What if, if everything's normal, they don't get touched, they get trimmed uh, on a monthly basis, anything that has problems, uh, we basically get our heads together with Simon, Terry, the vets, and uh, we start on a, a corrective program for those foals that have any form of angular limb deformities. So we're onto them at a very early age because obviously the growth plates in the fetlocks fuse at three months. So if you've got various fetlocks, we need to be on top of that before they're of three months of age. And then these reports are repeated throughout their foal life and into their yearling life. So everything really leading up to 
the yearlings going to the sales is started at a very young age. So we are doing very little correction once all the, the growth plates are sealed. So we're, we're basically onto it from a very young age. And then once we get into the yearling stage, again, we're doing reports on them, keeping on top of them, making sure that everything is going in the right direction for, for the sales date. And then Terry works out a program for the shoeing. So we normally work back three shoeings from the sales and uh, that's where we are so we've got on the sale date we they are exactly how we want them as, as symmetrical as we can get them and everything else and what's the benefit of putting the shoes on towards the beginning of prep rather than waiting as some people do and putting them on just before a sale because of, of the workload that they do here at watership down the horses would not stay comfortable and sound without the shoes so you have to put shoes on them to give them protection and protect them from being sore so we have to shoe them slightly earlier than some studs that may not do quite as much walking hand walking or whatever else and by getting two to three pairs of shoes into some of these horses you can actually give them a nicer more symmetrical shape because you've obviously had two or three goes to get them into that perfect shape the size of shoes differ between the yearlings depending on how big their feet are but do you put the same type of shoe on all of them they're all all different like in like humans so they're all some are shod with more support at the heel to give them support some don't need it some are shod with lateral support or medial support so everyone is shod according to what i put down in my reports for my, for my guys to do weights of shoes we obviously don't we use a nice light shoe so that the yearling flicks his toe um, some studs have aluminiums um, what we found here at Watership because the horses are of such high standards and they get so much showing at, at Tattersall's they will wear through the alleys so they would go through them in four days so we've gone back to a steel shoe that makes it last longer but it's, it's not unusual for the, the Watership units to be worn out after six days at the sales, absolutely in half because of the, the volume of showing that they're getting on the tarmac. And you have yearlings that have shoes that go on earlier in the year, later in the year, or do they all just go on at the same time? Here we have a program where they all fit. We have an occasional program where if we've got a small footed horse who's short of foot, we will put glue on shoes on him early on in August. And that will allow us to, to glue him where he, he won't pull him or can't pull him. And he can be out in the field and he will grow a nice lot of foot before he comes in for prep, which will then give us the advantage of having a bigger foot. It's quite common for a yearling to pull a shoe off at the sales if it's messing around or it stands on itself. But how much of a problem is that? Chapel Forge has a huge amount of horses go to tassels. So we're up there from the day one day or two days before the sale starts right and through to the sale ends so my my staff or whatever or myself will be going around our studs replacing shoes replacing horses that have moved shoes or worn them out uh, and it is very common for horses to lose lose shoes at the sales because they're in an environment they're not used to so we are there for for our clients to make sure everything goes to plan and finally, after the sales, do they have all their shoes taken off or does it just completely depend where they go? Immediately after sale, 99.9% of them will all have their hinds off because obviously they need to be broken and that's a hazard with a hind shoe on. And some will even have their fronts off, you know, so it's a matter of having them all on and then go, go back to nature. And then once they go back into the training yards, they'll be shod all round at most places.
Gary Pickford there, Farrier at Watership Down, talking to Charlotte Greenway. And a reminder, Charlotte will be back this evening with the Saturday edition. And next week, we'll be back at Watership Down following the sales preparation from a veterinary perspective. Right. It is Friday, which means only one thing, and it's time for the Thoroughbred Racing Commentary Global Rankings. Oh, so much to delight you with this week. And that's even before we get to James Willoughby. Right. Horses who slipped out of the top spots. Up two at 20, Poetic Flair after that encouraging run in the Irish Champion Stakes. Down eight at 19, Snowfall after that French disappointment. Baid slips out of the top 10. Gran Allegria drops out of the top 10. They're both down three at 13 and 12. The biggest mover this week is Sunny Boy Liston up 1,761 places to 110, the Irish St. Ledger winner. And here is this week's top 10. Up five is the Australian Nature Strip. We'll find out why in a moment. Up two, Chronogenesis, bound for the arc. And don't forget her compatriot, Deep Bond, did Japanese claims no harm in his trial last weekend. Adair is down to Y when his derby form was franked so handsomely in the St. Ledger, I hear you ask. Seven, steady at seven is Tanawa. She certainly enhanced her arc claims with her luck second in the Irish Champion Stakes, up 11 for his romp in the Kazoo St. Ledger, the son of Frankel Hurricane Lane, down one essential quality, up one Golden 60, flip-flopping as Golden 60's Hong Kong form has taken a boost ahead of his seasonal comeback. Three steady is Mishrif. Where's he going to run next? Will it be the Ark? Will it be the Breeders' Cup? If so, which Breeders' Cup? And could it be the Japan Cup as well? Down one is Stable Companion Palace Pier. And now, at the top of the list, a new horse for the first time in months, St. Mark's Basilica. The obvious place to start, James. St. Mark's Basilica knocks Palace Pier off the top spot, as you've been predicting for a while. Well, if ever the, the phrase small but select could be applied to a race, the Irish champion stakes last weekend was that race, just four going to post at Leopardstown. But what a race. Three highly re- ranked horses. And St. Mark's Basilica, yes, as predicted, doing the business and that's enough, according to the computer, to elevate his form. This was his fifth Group 1 win from seven tries above the idle Palace Pier. But it's very close. And of course, think of it through their respective encounters with Poetic Flair. Palace Pier beat Poetic Flair and Neck in the pre-Jacques Lamarois. St. Mark's Basilica defeated the Bolger runner here by three quarters of a length. Uh, and the computer has these horses uh, through Poetic Flair, ranked very close together. But the nod goes to Aidan O'Brien's son of Siuni. Okay, Hurricane Lane's gone up 11 to 6. That's a bit much, isn't it? Yeah, I think it probably is, yeah. I mean, let's, let's just remind the, the listeners, this is an automated system. I was surprised, actually, that Hurricane Lane was elevated above Tarnawa. I think the reason is, really, now that he's... Got the wide margin win in the Grand Prix de Paris. This was effectively a wide margin win. It's very hard to win the St. Ledger by that far due to the fact that most three-year-olds at this point in time don't really fully see out a mile and six. Most classy three-year-olds, you know, it's hard to really, uh, really distance horse at the end of that demanding Doncaster straight. And he's a very good horse, isn't he, clearly? And I think what the computer likes about him is that, that four wins from five tries, the other one being a pretty honourable defeat, in the derby and he's thriving and piling good performance on top of good performance would i have him ranked personally above tarnawa definitely not no i i would see tarnawa as the most likely winner in the arc but hurricane lane has got um a lot of upside hasn't he 
Tonal, although she's top-notch, we kind of know where we are with her. Hurricane Lane, he could yet be a wonder horse lucky, couldn't he? He could, but as you said, he was beaten. Maybe he didn't handle the track, but he was well beaten by Adar in the derby. Adar also has a comfortable victory at Ascot over Mishrif. Poor old Adar has slipped down two places to eight. How did that happen? Yeah, this is only a technicality. It's easy uh, to explain this one. Our rankings are based on a classification of ranking points, obviously. So what happened? Adar gained ranking points for the reasons exactly as you say. The derby form was boosted, therefore, uh, by extension, his reputation is swollen little. He gained 36 ranking points, but he lost two ranking slots because of the horses moved up like Hurricane Lane moved up more than he did so a, a bit of a technicality there really um but um he remains obviously a horse that's very much to the high end of these classifications and i think we could see him rise higher still nature strip is up five to ten in spite of not really having done anything lately and chronogenesis yeah. is up two to nine uh, that's quite a big move for nature strip it's funny, but we got a couple of uh, queries from readers this week who actually said it was ranked too low. <laughs> it looks, it looks like, it looks like we've kind of responded to those, but we haven't. In fact, what happened was Zootori, the five-year-old, who's a high-class horse in down in Australia, he was well beaten fourth in what looks to be a tremendous T.J. Smith stakes back in April at Randwick, and this week uh, Zootori came out and ran really well in a group two at Flemington. So that boosted the form of Nature Strip. And many would say, who are fans of this horse, he's the top sprinter in the world without a shadow of a doubt. And Chris Waller, his trainer, says that he's improved again as a seven-year-old. So look out for him. A couple of other things to ask you. Is Sonny Boy Liston up 1,761 places <laughs> the biggest mover ever in the history of the world? I haven't checked it, but I think it must be amongst the horse <laughs> rankings yeah and um, that's because we don't cover non-group races of course if we, if we did do that then obviously we would know that he was already a good horse um, but it was a bit of a shock to the ranking systems that that you could post with such a very good performance and i think i think a little bit under under regarded as well i think it was really impressive and it was it, it, it's really strong form too so uh, yeah he a massive mover johnny murta's stare Interesting to see, won't it, whether he can really go on from here and take out races like the Gold Cup next year. Mm, quite possibly. Native Trail, I know, is a horse that you are very fond of, and he is the highest-ranked <laughs> two-year-old now at 62. Give me some sort of context there. Is that good, indifferent, par for this sort of time of year for a, a runaway Group 1 two-year-old winner? Absolutely bang on par, I think. Uh, looking back, around about 60 to 80 is where the sort of top European two-year-old would find himself at this time of year. I suspect that the national states could turn out slightly confusing form, um, not because he's not a good horse, but because it was quite a big step forward on what he'd done before, and he did look like a horse previously who was slightly workmanlike in the way he went around things. The cur is very stiff. Maybe they just stopped in front of it. I, I don't know. But um, we'll see whether he can confirm it uh, from here. And if he does, then he's a prime contender for next year's 2,000 guineas. And concluding this conversation where we began, James, just looking at the makeup of the top of the list that is just starting to solidify, St. Mark's, Palace Pier, Mishrif. 
how many cards are left to play? We've talked about some Mars Basilica. Palace Pier goes to the QE2 and Mishriff. Well, John Gosden's got all sorts of end-of-season options. It seems likely that Mishriff will run the most. He might have as many as three further runs to his career versus Palace Pier's one, St. Mark's Basilica, none, maybe one. Does that mean Mishriff ought to be favourites to end the year atop this list? Now, that's a difficult one because there are so many candidates and it's a really intriguing question. And you make a very good point about the opportunity that horses are afforded. And John Gosden has campaigned this horse very aggressively and will continue to do so. But to answer your question and give it some sort of mathematical framework, then I can tell you that St. Mark's Basilica was the 16th horse to ascend to world number one since TRC began compiling these classifications back in 2011, 2014, sorry. He's the third lowest rated world number one in that period the only two horses that have ascended to number one with a lower number uh, to their name a cirrus des aigle who was number one for only two weeks in back in 2014 i think it was uh, yeah and the other horse that's done it was orfevra and both those uh, the japanese horse very high uh, top-notch japanese horse and he was also number one for only two weeks so is that a clue the two horses that that achieved a similar figure to St. Mark's Basilica lasted at the top for only two weeks. So they're probably coming for St. Mark's Basilica. And why we would not be so arrogant as to think that um, the lads should uh, keep St. Mark's Basilica in, in training and persist with him just so that he was TRC world number one. It does highlight that in terms of reputation, if he departs the scene now, we're probably going to be talking more about another horse come the end of the season rather than him. And James, this is a postscript to this. Frankie de Tour is riding four grade one horses in Canada this weekend. Uh, two of them are the highest ranked in their respective races on your rankings. Raging Bull in the Woodbine Mile, and particularly Walton Street for Godolphin in the Patterson Canadian International. Now, am I right in thinking that Walton Street's victory could have quite a, a sort of interesting knock-on effect uh, on those horses toward the front of the rankings? Right, he was fourth to Mishriff in the Shima Classic, which of course that race best remembered for the three-way photo uh, featuring the other two, two Japanese horses plus Mishrif. Um, and back and forth that day was Walton Street, who had won another group race in Dubai, a bit below form in the Grosser Prize from Berlin last time. But I think we can forget and forgive that. So I think Frankie has a pretty good chance there. And he's picked a, a wonderful spare on Raging Bull, who most recently was fourth at Saratoga, uh, behind Get Stormer in the four-star day handicap. But he's got some tremendous form uh, back on his card, most notably, of course, his performance in the Maker's Mark Mile uh, in April, which he won by two lengths and looked really good on that occasion. Uh, so he'd been thriving to Chad Brown and Peter Brandt, whose colours have become increasingly familiar. This could be pretty lucrative stuff could it not, uh, for Frankie? Lucrative stuff it could and should be. We're hoping for some lucrative stuff from Cornelius Lysett. Cornelius, take it away. Yeah, I, I think I'm going to stick. I've, I've told you the, the one I, I like in the uh, Air Girl Cup uh, tomorrow, uh, and that's the, the horse trained by uh, John Quinn and the mount of Jason Hart, Mr Wagyu. But as well as being a, an Air Gold Cup, there's an Air Silver Cup, and indeed today there is an Air Bronze Cup. 
Uh, and uh, there is a, a horse that's a great favorite of mine that I um, was in danger of losing faith in uh, called Call Me Ginger, uh, trained not all that far away from the race course here in Scotland by Jim Goldie, Paul Mulrennan, who's in flying form at the moment, just looking at the stats, ridden 10 winners from 49 rides in the last fortnight. And Call Me Ginger, trained by Jim Goldie, whose horses are in good form as well. Uh, one at um, Doncaster, uh, one of um, handicap there, ridden uh, by Amy Woff. And um, yeah, has got a, a decent chance, number 12 in the 320 at air today. Cornelius, thank you very much. Thank you for listening. That was Friday the 17th of September. Do enjoy your weekend. I'll be back with you on Monday morning. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary.